welcome to the Pastor's Cut Podcast for March 13th, 2022. Those are the jazzy stylings of Brad Henderson called Come Sit With Me. And I'm here with Brad, who's in the studio. Brad, wave at the folks at home. Thank you very much. <laughs> Super Dave is here. Howdy. Marissa Carter's here. Hello. And our goal in doing this Pastor's Cut Podcast is just to equip you, if you're teaching, which we're still doing an evangelism series in our community groups, but if you're teaching the pastor's cut, or if you're just trying to prepare your heart for a Sunday morning in worship, this is the text that we'll be teaching on Sunday morning. Uh, Dave, do tell us how the evangelism thing is going with the, the small groups. So as of the recording this morning, we had week one for most groups. I've heard a couple of groups that are pivoting a little bit and either trying to watch the videos at home so they can have more room for discussion, which is great to hear, or they're looking at ways to... Um, get it even closer to Easter, which I love as well. But a lot of groups are doing it and doing well. So week one um, was just a, a quick look at, I'm trying to remember now. Well, my, but, my, my wife, details, while you but, get your thoughts together, yes. uh, you know, my wife came home and she said, we watched the first video and she said the one quote that caught me is we all know what a hoarder is, that they, they hoard possessions, their houses mm-hmm. become full of, of useless things. Well, we've become hoarders of the gospel. You know, we kind of keep it to ourselves. It's our treasure. And we're not going to give it to anybody. And she said that that kind of struck a nerve with me, struck a chord with her. I love Greg Laurie and just the way he simply communicates the gospel message, and he practices what he preaches. He'll go out on the street, he'll lead people to faith in Jesus on his own, because he has a firm conviction that, that you have to own it before you can preach it from the pulpit. So I, so I do think some people have that gift of evangelism. You know, they're the Greg Laurie type, that, and Dave, you're a lot like this. You can just talk to anybody about Jesus. But whether or not you feel like you have that particular gifting, we all have that responsibility. Yes. That, you know, it, it might not be my way, my personality, just to go up and initiate this conversation. doesn't mean it's not for others, but I have the responsibility with those in my sphere of influence to share the gospel. Absolutely. Okay, so I want people uh, also to get to know us personally, and uh, we're just going to bounce around a little fun question here before we get into the text. Favorite place to eat in Tulsa? Dave, go. If you say Chuck E. Cheese because you have small kids, <laughs> you're off the podcast. I think I just vomited in my mouth. I'm not such a fan of Chuck E. Cheese. I don't think I've eaten a Chuck E. Cheese since I was a child. Good. My goodness. Same wow. pizza. They yeah. just reheat it. Yeah, it's literally over and over and over again. The same, so we, the same yeah, pizza. Exact same one. We had an Arizona <laughs> spun iteration of that um, called Pistol Pete's Pizza <laughs> that was equally <laughs> cardboard <laughs> worthy oh, of its pizzaness. So, no, um, my favorite restaurant, if, if I get a choice to go somewhere that, that few people have been, I'm going to go to the place that Bobby Hart first introduced me to Mexican Corner. It's this little oh, hole in the wall yes. that, that makes. Really good Mexican food for Tulsa. Absolutely, and and Rio Verde is right up there yeah, with it. If you've not been good. to Rio Verde, you have to <laughs> kind, of, kind of go look for it. So, Marissa, what about you? I don't, I'm trying to narrow it down. Okay. My Thai kitchen, favorite Thai. Okay. Where is that located? Uh, I want to say it's 31st and Harvard. Okay. Very, very good. Love India good Palace. I have never been there. Number one for Indian food. Okay. Brad's given a thumbs up. He affirms. He validates. Uh, Mandarin Taste. You just got a whole list going over there. I did. You, oh you asked ahead of time. I'm, I'm giving the people what they want. But Mandarin you only taste. Asked for one. Best Chinese. What is? Mandarin taste. Mandarin taste. Okay. Mm-hmm. The bao buns, very good. All right. Dim that, sum, that, that fantastic. Gives... Hot pots, great. You got, do you have more? Uh, Lone Wolf. And more? Mother Road Market. 
More? Goat Chicken and the Wolf at Mother Road Market. <laughs> you can do Radish, which has moved to 18th and Boston. Rest in Peace Burn Co. Mar- Marissa is Rest a Rest fo- in Peace Burn Co. <laughs> no, oh. So Miss Burn Co. So uh, Marissa's a foodie. I just didn't realize what kind of foodie you were. That's fantastic. I, all, you know, all of them. I'm, I'm pretty simple. Uh, I like Dilly Diner downtown. I, I go there for when I have a breakfast meeting or a lunch meeting. That's kind of where I go. For family time, we, we love the brook. We just love big, greasy hamburgers, and they put so much... <laughs> cheese on their fries i call it the ooze that the cheese just mm, oozes off oh it's so good <laughs> so how does that compare to in and out's secret secret menu french fries not a fan of in and out but have you had animal <gasps> that style that is i'm pretty sure that's anti-christian it's probably it is a, anti-christian email are we going to talk about the bible today or just food let's just talk about food yeah, let's just forget about I, it. I do want no. to tell one quick story that brad took me to a barbecue place in fort gibson is that right brad yeah you, yeah. Okay. Are, are people they, they closed down two weeks ago? Are people able to hear you oh, on this podcast? Yes, they Rest in power. Okay. So Brad's our producer. So this place closed down. What was it called? Sizzling Bones. It was so good. So we were recording an audio book, and we go for lunch. We eat Sizzling Bones. <laughs> we come back in the studio like this, and hey, you know the story. And it is so good. My stomach is growling, and it's growling so loud trying to digest this food that you can pick it up through the microphone. We had to, we had to retake. <laughs> we had to That's retake. Awesome. You know, and, and I think my stomach might growl right now. Thank uh, you. Yes, it was fantastic. They shut down two weeks ago. They did. They did. Probably another. A little off the beaten path and hard to remember that it was there. You know? Yeah, well, well. That's too bad. I was, so, I was thinking we could do some kind of on-site recording. Mm-hmm. There is nothing better we can move the than eating on mic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna find a restaurant. We're gonna do a podcast live on location, uh, and we're gonna smack Charleston's Charleston's pork chops with a green bean that they saute and kind of do it in a wok, and then a Caesar salad. Mm-hmm. There's not a better mm-hmm. meal in town. That's my, that's my stomach sound effect. Okay. <laughs> it's your own sizzling oh, bones. Right. Sizzling bones. Okay, so let's Luke twenty three. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. One we're getting through twenty five. Um, so let me say, but on this teaching series with Luke, we've been in Simply Jesus since the beginning of the year. I've loved just taking a look at who he is, what he teaches, and what he's about to do is, is the most important thing that anyone would ever do for humanity. So we're turning a corner because we're, we're going to stay in Luke all the way through Easter, but starting on the 20th, the, the series title is going to change. We're going to call it Near the Cross, and it's going to stick in Luke 23. It's all the people who are around the crucifixion that were, they either touched the cross themselves or they were so close they could have reached out and touched the cross. And we're going to look at those individuals who were literally near the cross. Uh, So for this Sunday, the 13th, this is kind of a segue between the two. This is moving from Jesus' life to the events of his death. And uh, let me just jump in on, this is, uh, the text is going to be Luke 23. 1 through 25. It's pretty lengthy. Let me just read a bit. We'll stop, comment, and read through this here. Then the whole assembly rose. This is the Sanhedrin. And they led Jesus off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. Actually, what the Jews found him guilty of was being the Lord's anointed. And they changed the the charge against him uh, for something that would reverberate with Rome something that would be worthy of the death penalty. So he opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. 
Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis of charge against this man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. So let me stop here. This is kind of the scene one of Jesus and Pilate meeting face-to-face for the first time. Dave, what are you thinking? There is so much that I'm thinking, but Jesus only speaks one time in this entire passage, and it's here. It's not in response to anything that the Sanhedrin is saying. It's not in response to anything that, that anyone is accusing him of. He, it's almost as if Jesus is very well aware that, that of the trial proceeding that's, that's in the middle of everything going on. So he, he's willing to take serious when someone is taking serious the trial and not making a mockery of it. But for everyone else, he's just silent. For his accusers, he's literally silent. And I think that, that silence of Jesus is something that stands out in the text. So, so there's a, a verse of Scripture. I cannot pull out where it is. I believe in, uh, well, it's in Isaiah 53. I'm just looking at it right now. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This is one of the suffering servant psalms, and, mm-hmm. and Jesus seems to, to be fulfilling this prophecy of, you know, just as a sheep is silent when he's being sheared, he's, he's just quiet at this moment because what's being asked of him or about him is it's not really sincere. Marissa? go. Are you still thinking about Chinese food? So many different kinds of food. Okay. We need to do this after lunch. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Yeah, um, so the trial did uh, that we're looking at right now does take place after the the trial before the high priest Caiaphas. It takes place after Peter's denial. We've kind of we've really fast-forwarded through Luke. Oh yeah. In a really dramatic way. We we (laughs) We took a quantum leap. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. But the like you were saying, Darren, uh, the chief priests and the elders uh, didn't have the authority to execute Jesus. Um, and Rome cared very, very little about religious infighting and what they saw as just a cultural matter. Um, they didn't really want to have anything to do with it. So uh, so Caiaphas and the other elders really had to um, re- show Rome why they, to justify before Rome why they should execute Jesus. That made them um, blame him for things that he did not actually do. Um, they claimed that he was an insurrectionist, that he said, don't pay taxes to Caesar. Rome does not care about blasphemy against God, but they did care about blasphemy against Caesar. Right. Um, so these things that they accused Jesus of, that he was dangerous, that he would upset political stability, that he would keep money out of Rome's pocket, and that he would make Pilate look bad, all of these things were things that Pilate cared about. Seems people have been misquoting Jesus for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's to say that, you know, he says uh, he opposes taxes to Caesar, that was, that's not true at all. Uh, but that was, that was a misquotation of a, a much larger conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, too, I think that they didn't want to jeopardize their cleanliness, uh, the high priests and elders, that this was something that was unseemly. They'd get the ball rolling, and they'd get it to the point where it could no longer be stopped, but they didn't really want to have anything to do with the dirty business of, of actual ex- execution. Um, and there's so many elements of tragedy in this, and of course we think about the tragic, of the, the tragedy of the crucifixion. But just every point, that every turn that they make seems to be an opportunity for people to make the right choice, opportunity for them to ask Jesus the right questions, for Jesus to, um, to have a real conversation about spiritual matters with people, Pilate, Caiaphas, all these different people, Herod. 
Um, but there's a momentum to the story that can't be stopped. Um, and I, I, it, one of the, these tragic elements is just that in desiring to stay clean before God, to stay righteous before God, they actually enacted the greatest act of blasphemy of all time and that their desires were good and yet still they fell so, so incredibly far from the mark. No one wants to seem to uh, want Jesus dead <laughs> in this story. Everyone seems to be th- trying to find an excuse, trying to find some place, some way to keep this death, death march from proceeding. Um, and, and at every turn, there seems to be something larger at work. Yeah. So now the, the scene is going to shift just a bit, and maybe some explanation is, is in order here. So Pilate was considered to be the governor over all of the, the nation, what used to be the nation of Israel. He was Rome's representative. But there was a, still a little bit of a holdover from the past generation. And if you remember the narrative, the birth narrative stories of Jesus, Herod the Great, uh, he had three or four sons that kind of divvied up his territory after he was gone, and they had some local jurisdiction but uh, really, it was Rome calling the shots through Pilate. But these, and it, there's a lot more than what I'm going into here, but still, there were a couple of Herod's kids kind of in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. exerting a little bit of influence here and there. And Herod, uh, one of Herod's sons, I feel like I'm talking about George Foreman. George Foreman. And George. <laughs> and George. And George and second George the third. George and George. Georgia. Yeah, it's been going on for a long time. <laughs> was it Georgine? So uh, Jesus actually was a native of Galilee up north. And when Pilate heard that, he goes, well, this doesn't even fall under my jurisdiction. I can, I can pawn this off on somebody else. And so this literally is the first Literally washing his hands. Literally tried to wash his hands. So it says when Herod uh, saw Jesus, and he tries to, to get him to go to, to Herod, but when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for, a, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. So he plied him with many questions but Jesus gave him no answer. Again, as the sheep before the shearers is silent. The chief priest and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressing him in an elegant robe. They sent him back to Pilate. And that day, Herod and Pilate became friends because up till then they had been enemies. We still see here Jesus taking on the posture of silence. Dave, what do you think? I... So I mean, there's just a couple of interesting things in the text. The the, the text actually uses the same word. You're going to use a Greek word? I'm not going to use the Greek word, but I'm going <laughs> to use the Greek explanation because I don't remember the actual Greek word. <laughs> I know, I know. But the, the word that is used in John 9 when Jesus healed the man that was born blind, he returned him back to his natural state. That's the same word that Luke uses here to describe Pilate sending Jesus back to Herod, to the place where he was born, that there, there's something about the, the natural landing spot there, the imagery there that, that Luke is trying to tap into. Um, that was before John's gospel was probably written, but still, there's something there. Um, that It's equally fascinating that, that while Jesus continues to remain silent, Herod is probably just looking for a show, looking for, for a performance. The same, the same guards that had John the Baptist arrested that grabbed him, probably beheaded John the Baptist, Mm -hmm. his cousin, were the ones that were escorting Jesus, that were flogging Jesus, that were around Jesus in that moment. And while Jesus remains silent, it's like he tries to ratchet the the tension down a little bit. The the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they ratchet it up a whole new notch. They start shouting and screaming at the top of their lungs. 
And so you, you see almost the, this duality within the text of, of Jesus just remaining totally calm in the middle of the storm. And the storm keeps building and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I have a personal reflection here, but I, I want to turn it over to Marissa first because I, I do see, while this is Jesus in his great divinity, I see, I see, a, I see humanity mm. uh, happening here. So mm-hmm. what's on your mind, Marissa? I think it's interesting. I, I've skipped over the part that says that Herod was pleased because he had wanted to meet Jesus. Um, I, I don't read that one very often. I think probably because I read the Matthew account more than the Luke account of this passage. Um, and at first that almost endears us to Herod, like, oh, there's, you know, oh, yeah. I hope there. Um, but I'm, Jesus knows far before we realize that this is a cruel and shallow man that just wants to be entertained, um, to see some tricks and signs and to entertain his court. And, and just like Dave mentioned, he had already entertained his court before by having John brutally murdered. Um, and just the, that those thoughts were probably in Jesus's mind and his heart as he stood there refusing to play Herod's game. Um, the thoughts of John the Baptist and the grief that he still felt over that murder. Um, so Herod being insulted by the audacity of Jesus's silence, who's like, okay, if you're not going to entertain me, then we'll make our own entertainment. I, I keep seeing Jesus Christ Superstar. Have you ever watched that old, that old <laughs> yes. 70s movie? It's yeah. a play, um, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, but it was mm. turned into a movie, and <laughs> Herod's this very flamboyant, over-the-top, you know, you just, you hate him when you see him for the mm. first time, because he's just a punk. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of an entitled rich kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the line about Herod and Pilate being best friends after this. Yes. That they've been enemies for so long, but they could unite over their mutual um, dislike of Jesus and their and their uh, dehumanizing of, of the Jewish populace is uh, interesting. We talked last week about um, the Good Shepherd, and, and you mentioned Isaiah's passages about sheep. Um, and I think that, uh, and it's probably because of that that I'm thinking of Ezekiel 34 when I read this about um, these men who were given the role of shepherds over uh, Palestine, over the, the Jewish people, and just how corrupt they had become. That they, uh, that they, uh, well, I'll just read from Ezekiel 34. It says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Hmm. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy, and I will shepherd the flock with justice. And just how temporal these men um their rules actually would become that they that they would be removed from their role as shepherds and this shows just how far they had fallen from that shepherd ideal and so now jesus is taking his flock back you can serve or strut but you can't typically do both at the same time um i I just feel bad that i quote jesus christ superstar and you quote ezekiel 34 what does that say Marissa, I don't. I I see no implications there. Okay, you're yeah. in tune with with pop culture and trying to bridge from, the gap to <laughs> the gospel. Well, okay, and in tune with pop way. culture from what year? Yeah, I was in tune. Okay, with, I wasn't going to imply anything. Seventies oh. pop culture. That was one of my. I'm f- trying to help here. <laughs> yeah, don't don't help, Dave. Don't, just don't. No, I'll go back to quoting Greek. There you go. <laughs> so I, I see here a very human moment. This this isn't always true, but. In a conflict, here's what you see. You see them before Pilate, uh, Pilate or excuse me, Herod, <laughs> emerged 
Pilot and Herod together. Best friends. But isn't isn't that Luke? Isn't that Luke's style though? He takes two people that's right. and puts them side by side all of the time. All the time. And so that's what he's doing in this passage. So, so I guess you could, it's now you could make them one person. One person. <laughs> so as, as Jesus is before Herod, you have all the, the religious leaders yelling and screaming, Jesus is silent. I, I see in that when, when I'm hearing two sides of an issue, two people are in conflict, the people who are often screaming the loudest are usually the ones telling the lies. Hmm. It's those that are keeping their mouth shut um, who... And sometimes people are hiding behind silence, but but many times people say, you know, if I try to explain myself to my enemies, no explanation will do. Will do. When you're trying to explain yourself to your friends, no explanation is needed. So, you know, often the person who is silent is usually in that security of living in the truth. Not always, but sometimes. Okay, verse 13, here's the last scene. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion, but I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. There's, therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus... Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, Why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant them their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder and the one they asked for, and they surrendered Jesus to their will. So we, we've gone over time a little bit on our podcast today, but let's, let's have profound thoughts uh, as, as we look at this last scene from each of you. Who wants to go first? I love that, that last word. Yes. He surrendered him to their will. There's something very profound in there about Jesus was intentionally surrendering himself to this for what was to come. And, and Luke builds up this anticipation of the cross the whole time Jesus is being quiet, knowing what's coming ahead, knowing the cross is what's next. But what comes after the cross is what the ultimate goal is, the, the redemption, the reconciliation, the forgiveness of sins. But it requires surrender. And so Jesus willingly while while Pilate was the one who surrendered Jesus was the one that ultimately was in control in that moment and gave himself up and when we choose to surrender our circumstances to Jesus in our own lives that's where we find life and healing and wholeness yeah so so being victim to the the will of others does not mean that we are outside of God's will because mm. because Jesus is he's suffering under the will of sinful man but he's still very much inside God's will and so when we when we suffer under circumstances beyond our control doesn't mean that God is out of control. All right, Marissa, you got to beat that. Well, I don't know if I can because that's that's just the most powerful part of the whole message right there is that Jesus has surrendered to God's will and not the will of the people. Um, but uh, looking at the reaction of Pilate to this whole situation, and Matthew, I think, shows a little bit more clearly just how unnerved he was by losing his authority in the presence of Jesus yeah. and how just from the very moment that Caiaphas, the high priest, Pilate, they all thought that this was going to be rubber stamped and just be done before the people woke up. Um, and that is not at all how it happened because of 
just the the presence of Jesus was so unnerving to Pilate. Um, but he didn't, his reaction to that, his, his acknowledgement that this was someone who was innocent and more than that, that it was perhaps was the Messiah, um, he didn't do anything with it. Um, not choosing for Jesus is choosing against him. He had the opportunity, the authority of Rome behind him to say, no, this is, he's innocent, I'm letting him go. Um, and, and he chose not to go that path. So I think that's the, the application, or one of many, many applications is just if we fail to make a choice for Jesus, uh, we have made ourselves his enemy. There you go. I, I want to touch on one thing just briefly, and then we'll pick up on it again in a couple of weeks. Um, again, chapter 23 is all about the crucifixion and the cross. Uh, just a few months ago, I had, a, had lunch with a, a friend of mine who's a Jewish rabbi. And the topic turned toward one of the major points of tension between uh, those who are Orthodox Jews and Christians, and that is the Christian assertion, or that's, that's stated rather carelessly, I believe, the Jews killed Jesus. Okay? And, and actually, that's been an excuse for anti-Semitism down through the centuries. Mm-hmm. I want to make it very clear. The Jews did not kill Jesus. The Greeks, excuse me, the Romans, did not kill Jesus. We killed Jesus. <laughs> it, is, it is our mm-hmm. sin that put Jesus on the cross. Now, the instruments to make that come about were both Jew and Gentile. But when Jesus speaks from the cross, and here's where it really drives home, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, he is speaking both to or about the Jewish and the Gentile audience. So who killed Jesus? Was it the Jews? Was it the Gentiles? Hey, if we really understand the cross, it was us. It was us. And if anybody is culpable for that, it is us. So that's a little note there. I, I don't know that many of us would go around and say that's the basis for, for anti-Semitism or that's the basis for you know any racism against the Jews, but we need to be careful because sometimes careless comments can be made. Right. Yeah, language is really important in talking about these passages. In any passage where we see um, the Pharisees or other select groups and, and individuals come up against Jesus. Just the reminder, which seems very obvious, but these were all Jewish people, that Jesus was Jewish. His disciples right. were Jews. Jewish. Uh, uh, those that loved him very, very dearly were Jewish. And, and our church history is marked by anti-Semitism that we injected into these passages. Um, so both that they were used as an excuse for anti-Semitism and anti-Semitism marked the way we use our language as well. So that's right. Just to be careful with that. We do need to be careful. <laughs> so with that, that uh, wraps up this first scene in, in Luke 23. In the next few weeks, we're going to begin to look at those people who were literally near the cross and what circumstances brought them there in the hopes of that we will be near the cross as well. So I say we go have some Chuck E. Cheese. And call That's it a day already. That's... Yeah. Mm, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. We can have we can eat Chuck E. Cheese and watch Jesus Christ Superstar. As long Both as we classics. get <laughs> as long as we get to watch that bear with the one snare drum. Oh, the animatronics. Yes. Really creepy. Yes. Really creepy. <laughs> all right. Well, for all of us here in Studio four oh three, I don't know where I'm getting that from. It's just we're here downtown. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and grant you peace now and forever. Amen.